James Bond. Charming, sophisticated secret agent. <laughs> Shaken, but not disturbed. <laughs> so how long have you and the secretary been married? Uh, 30 years next year. Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah, and we were faithful for two of them. Hmm? Enjoy the party. All right, gentlemen, we are back. Welcome, Shaken, not third, the definitive James Bond movie podcast for idiots talking James Bond. Obviously, with the uh, amazing, even looking even better in her old age, Jane Seymour. That is the indication. Here we are. Crossing boundaries, we are on to 1973's Live and Let Die. The third Bond takes the stage. Sir Roger Moore, his royalty, an actual actor this time, as opposed to Connery or Lazenby. We have a classic British actor taking the role. Gentlemen, welcome. What do we think? Thoughts? Happy to be back, fellas. Can't wait to get into the uh, the doldrums of the Roger Moore era here. So, yeah, same. We're looking at back to back classic bachelor party locations from Diamonds in Vegas to Live and Let Die in New Orleans. I'm ready for it. For I sure. You want to say Harlem, but to each his own. No, definitely not Harlem. Let's kick it off with the plot, right? A little far fetched here for my taste. I don't really see how giving free heroin out is, uh, is going to be a money-making ordeal here for, for our villain here, Mr. Big and Kananga. But kind of over my head here, yeah, I get you want to drive up the value of those poppy fields on the remote island, and it's a little bit too far-fetched for me here. And we have our first supernatural plot with the whole uh, voodoo tarot card reading stuff, so that's a little bit of kooky as well. Yeah, the whole voodoo doesn't really do it for me, honestly. I like the whole investigative portion of it. And then you get into like the, oh, you're on the bayou. And then it kind of turns into like the Dukes of Hazard for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just didn't really care for it, honestly. And how this they one, This one was that voodoo that you do. I mean, it, uh, it opens with, it opens interesting. I mean, and we'll, and we'll dive into the opening piece here, but I like that you've got three agents who are presumed to be MI6, right? I'm presuming that these are double O agents that have been successfully murdered. So we're trying to figure out what that is. We've got the uh, president with Dr. Kananga, the president, the prime minister, like whatever his role is, he is the leader of this fictitious Caribbean nation. I like that. There's, there's, there's a lot of movie magic there. And then it just kind of falls flat, I think, where when we get into the execution of this thing, a lot, a lot of good things that could have taken place, but I, I was a 6.5 on the overall. I scored a 3.5. I did think, you know, trying to solve the Asian murders were good. Saved it probably a point, a point and a half for me. But the plan for free heroin just fucking tanked this score for me, honestly. Yeah, we talked before. There's a lot of good things about this film. And most of it just falls flat. I gave it a 5.5. It didn't really do that much for me, honestly. I was close at a 6.5. And as we previously mentioned, some new locations, switching it up a little bit. Not the worst, not the best. The whole free heroin thing makes no sense. Get those junkies hooked. <laughs> you gotta get that product out there. <laughs> makes sense, right? You know, the guy's self-producing his own heroin, so he's trying to create demand in the marketplace. But thought it, it just it fell it fell short of what it could have been. The real story here is the introduction of, of Sir Roger Moore. So let's let's take a look at Sir Roger Moore's intro here. Good morning, Double Good morning. So with little fanfare, Roger Moore takes the role. No introduction, no opening. The title credits don't even include, you know, the the pre-movie credits don't even include any reference to 007. Our friend Roger Moore is unveiled by uh, Bernard Lee in his classic role as M. 
that scene was actually one of my favorites in the film. Your first look at your new Bond, he's caught on the job. The beautiful girl, as it's you know referred to in the credits, but mm-hmm. classic Bond, never alone in bed. Now she's um, supposed to be like the daughter of the Italian diplomat, right? Is that what they allude yep. to? Yep, they said in that scene it continues on as making sure the Italian diplomat's daughter safe or something like that. And, you know, he's kind of ushering her around the apartment and uh, eventually she kind of crossed paths with Money Penny. And Money Penny, like, also great on her, keeping her mouth shut there and down for Bond, whatever whatever he does. But So there was a little um, bit of criticism about that scene in that Money Penny and Roger Moore were actually good personal friends in real life. So there's a lot of criticism out there about their dynamic where you lose that bond sexual tension and you acquire more of a brother-sister type relationship, which I think was interesting. I thought Roger Moore as Bond brewing coffee for M in his, his house is a nice little quip there, but Honestly, Roger Moore took a little getting used to for me. We haven't really seen a Bond like him with, you know, Lazenby and Connery were a little bit, I would say, a little bit more similar than Roger Moore. Moore coming in has a little bit more light hair. For me, I think he, he's a little bit funnier than the other Bonds. I think he's more of like a, I don't know, fun-loving, happy-go-lucky kind of character. It kind of shows through, especially in this film and in some of those scenes. So overall, I think Roger Moore did a decent job in this one, at least. I gave him a 7.5. Wasn't the highest Bond score that I've given out, but it's not the lowest either. Thought he did admirably. Yeah, he came in obviously, obviously a little bit older than the previous guys. He didn't break the fourth wall with a cheesy joke like uh, Lazenby did, but again, on the right is not on the actor. My favorite uh, part of his performance is probably when he had the deck of cards with solitaire with the lovers, and they were like 52 cards of lovers. What a big move. I had him in an 8.0. Definitely something to get used to. Let's see where it goes from there. Uh, yeah. No, my favorite part of the scene is the robe he's wearing. He's got the JB inscribed on his robe. To go into like the quotes, we'll talk about Money Penny's quote. She had an excellent quote in that scene as well. Yeah, he's like what forty six, forty seven. Roger Moore is in this movie. Forty five. Yeah. So like 45. this is like this is like the only film I feel like where he doesn't look or act his age. Like he looks and feels like a lot younger in this movie than he than he will in future movies that he does. I gave him a seven. I thought he did pretty adequate. He does trick a virgin to know a virginity. I don't really condone that, but I respect the move that he did. And I like his, uh, I like his move with the magnetic watch taking off the girl's dress. That's yep. pretty awesome. Okay. Roger, Moore's, Roger Moore's Bond has no preference for uh, race, creed, age, ethnicity in this movie. I mean, he runs the full gamut of, of women. Obviously, as we're getting into the 70s now, they were getting into more fun-loving, funny, quirky things. So Roger Moore, I think, was a sign of the times. Interestingly, so 45, he was the oldest Bond to play the role in his first. And apparently for this movie, they offered Connery $5.5 million to come back. So those playing the inflation game, that brings you to right around the neighborhood of about the equivalent of $35 million to come back and play this movie. An astronomical amount of money. It's a little higher than you guys. I was an 8.0. I like Roger Moore's performance here. I think it's very evident that you've got a, uh, a real actor here in certain scenes. His driver gets assassinated, and instead of it being this quirky Bond thing, he's just leaning over, and Moore's 
acting prowess makes it believable as opposed to if it were to be like a Lazenby in that scene, I think they would have had to write it into some kind of a Bond superhero moment. So I think in the first three quarters of the movie, some of it was really just showing that this guy knows how to act. You don't even see an action sequence from him until you're in the third or fourth portions of this movie. I was an 8.0, though. I like him here. This will probably be the highest Roger Moore is going to get because, to Trey's point, it really dives off from here as he starts to act his age and he seemed to get a little bit more cartoonish going forward. No, this was actually the last time Bond did not wear a tuxedo in any movie. The previous two will only live twice in Russia with Love. The only thing I think that annoyed me, too, is that he used a revolver in this movie. He didn't use his machine gun once. No, and we'll get into that. I'd say this movie and Spy Love Me are for me, as far as his performance, are probably the best. Honestly, it really dives off. I think I covered every point that yeah. I wanted to earlier. Yep. I think, I think we're, we're all kind of in the same ballpark here. No one yeah. really thinks he... He's terrible. He just yeah. knocked yeah, my thoughts off. It's a, tough, it's a tough role to come into. And I don't think he, uh, I don't think by any means he let the series down. I thought he took the series in a different direction. And the direction it went, he was the right guy for it. Sure. Obviously, he's not going to hit the heights of Pete Connery films when it comes to Bond performance that set up the rest of the series. But yeah. I think performance in this film was a hell of a lot better than the last few films that Connery put out. So, oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah it's give, not, me, give me this Roger Moore over, you know, You Want to Live Twice or Diamonds Connery any day of the week. Sure. I think with those two, in my opinion, those two are pretty interchangeable. But, like, to y'all's point, I I probably would prefer a different Bond than Sean Connery on, uh, getting older and older for each little movie. But Roger Moore, he should have done two and out. I'll give him three. I'll give him three and out. But I agree with you, Trey. I think probably any one of us would have done the same thing, you know, take the bag and run with it. I mean, look, they, they, had offered Laz- they had offered Lazenby seven movies, and unfortunately, that's what happens when you take acid in the end of the 60s and listen to somebody that tell you that Bond's not going to be anything. He's yeah. an absolute jabroni for not, for not doing the seven movies. Even if he wasn't going to do seven, even if Lazenby just did a first few. Yeah, it's always an opt-out. But apparently, apparently Roger Moore was a favorite to do Honor Majesties before Lazenby took the gig. Moore was in the running to be Bond a film earlier, actually. Yeah, I, I'm glad we got Lazenby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, on to Bond villain, right? Yeah. That's it. Yeah, I mean, Mike kind of touched on it before, right? Now we're we're in the swinging 70s here. Huge point here is this is going to be your first minority, you know, lead villain here. You had, for Mr. Big and Kanaga, anyone that was trying to be portrayed as minority, like Dr. No, was still a white guy. Yeah, you know, mass is an Asian guy. Here, you got African-American... I contradict you there, though. I mean, I don't know what, what the actual actor's lineage was. You only live twice. Those that were Japanese were, in fact, you know, there were Japanese actors that portrayed the bad folks there. Sure, I'm just, I'm just talking strictly villain right now. Um, the main villain. Yeah, main villain. And yep. perfectly depicted, by the way, in, in areas like Harlem and New Orleans, where yep. these clubs and these soul clubs and stuff like that were very prevalent. So um, I actually enjoyed, you know, that that was a that was a good a fresh look at a a new Bond villain, mm-hmm. kind of helped my score a little bit. But other than that, I didn't think there was anything outstanding. I did like that he was kind of living two lives as Mister Big and Kananga, like you know, with the peeling off the face kind of deal. Outside of of the voodoo element of it and the race element, there's he's kind of forgettable as a villain outside of outside of those small factors what i've noticed in my scoring here you can't have your henchmen outshine 
the vil- like your main villain. Oh, and great. that's like this, this movie and we'll have some other ones. That's why my score is so low. I, I gave him a four. You can't have Baron Samardi and Tihi outshine you when at the end of the day, this guy, he's a, he's a dictator, but at the end of the day, he's just a drug dealer. Like, I mean, there's nothing more to it, to be honest with you. And we'll get to the, the death part, but that stunk too. Agreed. Yeah. I scored him a 5.5. I'm between you guys. I was a 5.0 on this. I think the molding of it in the very beginning had a lot, and then they just didn't really do much with it. There's a weird turn later in the in the movie where Bond is tied up and he starts cutting his arms with a knife, and this character goes just complete psychopathic, and it, it lost me there. Heading in an okay direction, but it lost me there. I guess just maybe the actor's portrayal of it before he's trying to feed him to the to the to the sharks i had a tough time bumped on that one pretty hard but see i i liked that part that was probably my favorite part of this guy's character yeah, I, I liked it but like yeah, it just like, it just kind of came to me it came out of nowhere you got a guy that's basically being you know pretending to be two different people and then this yeah. third personality came up and that's what that's where i bumped part of that third personality was the fact that he realized bond actually bangs solitaire so like sure. you know he was he was kind of like a lover obsessed at that point so yeah. like just another spin yeah. I was at a 5.0 as well. Nothing great, nothing terrible, forgettable at times, and that death did not help. I agree with Trey here and, and disagree with you, Mike. I, I did like that scene when they were around the table. I wanted to like it, but it just, yeah, for, me, for me, the rewatch, I bumped on it pretty hard. Mr. Big flips, flips the script yeah. there. You know, he's he's kind of menacing. He rips his face off to show, yeah. like, hey, I'm the same guy. Kind of ditches the, the dual personality there, and he's just kind of, he's just pissed off. Worlds are colliding. Yeah. He did have some pretty cool clubs with the like the tables that go around and shit. That was kind of cool. And yeah. they, still gave him, they still gave him the receipt after ordering the drink. And I liked how his flip kind of like the switch kind of just flipped. Like he's cutting his arm and he's like telling Whisper, uh, the guy who actually whispers, his henchman. Yep. <laughs> but um, tell him, hey, you know what? Lower a little bit slower. We need to let the sharks kind of gather. Obviously like mental at this point to like wanting to see some people just get ripped to shreds by sharks. Yeah. Like, so I, that's why I'm like, okay, this is the guy I've been waiting for too bad. He blows up like a balloon. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, these bond villains love their sharks, man. Yeah. Another, another this, touch on sharks. Is this the third villain or maybe second one? And we're thinking of piranhas. No, at, at yeah, least third. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thunderball. Thunderball is the other one with the sharks. In yeah. a, you only have spice. No, wait, what were they, piranhas? They were piranhas. Yeah. piranhas, yeah. Somebody else had sharks, but I don't know if it was a movie after this I watched. Between, and, and the Crocs, too. I mean, Crocs, Crocs. was, uh, yeah. yeah. Crocs was another good one, but you can't be on the bayou without introducing the Crocs, right? They did uh, switch up alligators and Crocs often, and I know one of them don't live there. Don't ask me which one, but. Crocs they don't goofed. live there. Okay. <laughs> they, yeah. they goofed. They goofed a little bit on that. Yeah. And I don't know, man, like I, this is just another portion of the movie that slumped off that could have been better. Yep. You know, maybe, maybe for diamonds, do another villain and then reintroduce Blofeld in this one. Maybe that could have, maybe that could have been Like I I said, from from the beginning, from the very beginning, you had all of the, you had all of the makings of a good, of a really good potential villain for, for any movie, yeah. particularly a Bond movie, right? I mean, the guy's got a seat in the United Nations. He right. runs he, he runs a country. So he's got unlimited access to the power and resources and all of these things 
and he just doesn't really do much with it. If he could have been like the dictator and then Baron Sarmati as like his other personality, yeah, that would have been so much better. Yeah, yeah. Like that way we could see Baron Sarmati as like the main villain or something. That yeah. would have been so much better. Because when I think of this movie, I don't think of Kananga. I think of Baron Samadhi. Yeah. Same. Agreed. Yeah. His 20-second death. Yeah, I mean, because it's funny to me, too. And, like, you got this guy who's so, who's so detail-oriented in the beginning of the movie, right? The CIA's got his place bugged. And they're listening to him. And he's playing, you know, cassette tapes of speeches he's given to throw them off. This guy's two steps ahead of everybody. And he's got such a terrible death scene at the end. Colin. Yeah. I can't wait for us to see that clip. Like, once we, at the end of this whole thing, I'm just, it's awful. Well, speaking of clips. Yes. I just had my tits done. You like them? Those seem like lovely tits. Call me Kitty Cat. <laughs> okay, Kitty Cat. This feels borderline inappropriate. I'm sorry, kitty cat. Are you out of your fucking mind? Brings us to our, uh, you know, to a high of this movie, our, uh, our Bond girl, Salter. Listen, Owen Wilson's got some great lines in that, that little scene. Oh, Man, yeah. Fantastic lines. Look, yeah. Jane Seymour, great actress. Perfect. She was perfect in every sense of the word right there, even as Miss Cleary. Yeah. This is, um, this is her first movie. Yeah. Uh, Living yeah, like I that. Thought, I Not thought she, she hit it out of the park. I gave her, I gave her an eight. I did think it was a little unbelievable that she was a virgin, to be honest. <laughs> but yeah. I guess the voodoo part of it kind of plays into there. But overall, smoke show. Probably yeah. one of the hottest, I think. Yes. Um, yeah. That, I, we, that we've seen up until this point. I, I would say between her and Honey Rider, at this point, two hottest. Yeah. Um, I, I uh, gave, what's, what's her name from uh, – Honey Rider sets Domino. the tone. But I think Domino was better looking. Domino's an absolute smoke show. I yeah, think I like blonde show. Uh, uh, has a benefit too of some like fancy looking outfits where she really showcases her assets. Yeah, I think the only thing from keeping her from getting to a ten on my score is just she doesn't have like all the other intangibles that Domino showed, that Tracy Bond showed. She just was kind of like along for the ride. Other yeah, than her, like, there, other than her, like reading some cards. She didn't really do much, I guess. I mean, other than the saving Bond by reading the cards. So there's, actually, like there's, there's a funny little thing, too, that I noticed. So let me just share this up with you. Yeah, so in the early day, I completely agree. Probably, arguably, the hottest Bond girl. If not the hottest, no question, top three. But For sure. So what's uh, funny. I, I had this, but I'm, I'm glad yeah, you showed up. So in the, early, in the early section here, when she's supposedly reading cards about Bond traveling, if you'll notice, there were uh, all of her cars had the 007 logo on the back of them. I did not. Oh. Nice. It <laughs> is nice, and I love that Pan Am. Okay, I'm going on eBay right now to try and buy four decks for us. Yeah, it was kind of funny that they hadn't even met yet. And this is like you know when he's when they hop him on a plane and they're preluding it with the cards, and it actually had uh, the 007 logos on the cards. Well, the first uh, card she turns over, a man comes. Perfect. A man comes, yeah. No, Trey, I agree with you. I think the only thing that held me back from scoring this higher was Solitaire didn't really offer a whole lot outside of the tarot card readings. Yeah. Absolute brilliant to look at. But when you're thinking Bond Girl and you have to score it as, as a full, you know, that, that kind of kept me at an eight. I, could, I don't think I can give her any higher just based on overall look. 
that was an interesting part of this movie that I appreciated, and, and it also goes to, to the villain portion of this too. Is in the previous movies, right? A lot of your a lot of your stuff is it's big, it's grandiose. You only live twice. There's you know ninjas storming a, a volcano against an army. This one is pretty pared down. It's basically Bond versus bad guy and a couple of henchmen straight up. There's not dozens of unnamed bad guys. So there's not even there's not a lot of opportunity for someone like a solitaire to just take out an unnamed henchman the, the same way some of these other Bond girls have had that opportunity to. A little to the plot, I think, takes takes away from that. Now I enjoyed the fact that this was like it was a more condensed in terms of the field of vision. It was all over the like it was in great places, but from a field of vision standpoint, it was primarily just the few primary actors, which I kind of enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, we've seen Bond girls take out our main villain before, so sure. um, it, not necessarily just a random henchman, but we've yeah. had we've had that already that we've talked about. Sure. But just in comparison, as I was scoring it, I gave it an eight, and I also gave Honey Rider an eight. I ended up giving Pussy Galore an eight point five because I thought some of those elements of her having the whole circus and her element on the film raised that score higher. And and by by no means are Honey Rider or Solitaire any like totally better looking than Pussy Galore. But I think the impact on the film overall. Plus is, the I mean, plus the X factor in the piloting and all of the other things that she does. Right. So like when I'm looking in comparison to past films that we've scored, I don't know if I can go higher than an eight. An eight is the looks get her there, but everything else kind of just is average. Yeah. And I mean, I, I I just can't dive in more to where her reading the cards actually, it just, I don't know. I don't believe in that sort of thing. I, I don't know if that, whatever, but I don't know. I mean, you've got, you've got to believe, you've got to believe that Barry Samani ends up on the train at the end of the movie. I mean, that we'll get into, but yeah, you're telling me, you're telling me you never sat down at uh, one of those street readers down in, in New Orleans and have no. them read your, uh, your cards. No. Absolutely not. Did you? Maybe. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> I might have. Well, it wasn't one of you and I were there because every time we sat down anywhere, it was typically at a bar stool. No, no, definitely wasn't our trip. Right. I yeah. inquired about one. It was $5. I'm wondering if uh, that Baron Samadhi face and laugh is what they designed the face on the, uh, on the hand grenade drink because they look eerily oh similar. God. I'll find a photo. Yeah, it'll, it'll definitely be your dreams, that, that little <laughs> switching-eyed grenade face. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I was an 8.0 here. Obviously, you've got a stunning a stunning woman who ends up becoming a pretty famous actress kind of along the way. There it is. There's Supel. I'm an 8.0. I'm, I'm with you guys. I think we've kind of beat this one. Beat this one dead here. Guns, cars, gadgets. Guns, cars, gadgets. Cool watch. Category that Great I have watch. for. Yeah, cool watch. That That is about it. I mean, like, that's the best use of a gadget yet, though, so. I agree. Should be like a 15. Mm. Such a Yeah, I mean, I wrote it in my notes. I was like, yeah, you got a magnetic wristwatch. It works well to unzip a dress, but you got not much else out of here. I mean, you forget it also turns into a buzzsaw. Well, that's what I said. It, I have in here, it says saw, question mark. Like, yeah. Yeah. like all right, you need the buzzsaw and a yeah. magnet watch? Like, come on. All right. And um, I scored a three, and, and I agree with you guys. Like, why is Bond using a revolver? Yeah. 
that lowered the score for me. I was kind of sitting at like a 4.5 of 5 because there wasn't a whole lot, but it, there wasn't anything that made me absolutely trash the score. Mm-hmm. Then I was like, well, wait a second. Why is Bond not shooting his gun? That yeah. Lowered- uh, we also had the appearance of a different lighter where he took the lighter and burnt the snake on the carpet. That was pretty good uh, move on yeah, a whim. But and that wasn't even a gadget per se. Like he was just lighting a cigar. Right? Yeah, that was just heads off. An aerosol can to fry a snake, which was cool. I had it actually in one of my, my deaths. I was like, does a snake death count? But like, it was <laughs> what I did. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the snake fire death is better than the agent being bitten by the snake when he's not actually bitten by the snake. The snake fire death is better than the fucking villain death. Yes. <laughs> the carpet didn't even go on fire. Then any villain death, I'm going to argue that the snake death is better than. The snake death was great. And I was laughing my ass off. Yes. Turns around, just sprays the, the I, yeah. deodorant can or hairspray can or whatever it whatever. is with, with his lit cigar. <laughs> I wonder I wonder if he ended up like smoking that cigar after whatever he sprayed all over it. I mean, right. if he had smoked a cigar after and then delivered some type of line, it would you know, that that's a Schwarzenegger-esque type of death. So I got some scene in Commando. Yeah, I had it at a 5. I'm bumping it down to a 4 cuz the the point about the revolver is just mind-blowing that he's not using any classic guns, not even a not even a Beretta, not even a PPK. Like, it just, I don't know. Yeah, I'm bumping Colt it down. 45 action. Didn't we already learn in Goldfinger that, like, the Colt 45 isn't the best for this type of situation? I mean, it can blow the side out of a plane. It can blow your cover. I mean, there's a whole piece in that. Yeah, know? I mean, listen. In, in the first movie, when they switch him from, from the Beretta to the PPK, there's a whole description about it. And then they even talk sure. about, it, like, so all of a sudden we're just going to go away from it because we've got a more Americanized bond, if you will. What car is he driving? He's driving a double-decker bus. Huh. It's good chasing, though. Yeah. And I'm good. You think Bond needs more than, like, six bullets here? Like, a revolver chamber is only carrying six, and then he's got to sit there and fucking load up again? He's not, it's not carrying a clip. How many, how many villains does Bond need to take out? Got to kill more than six people, right? I feel like that would play more in Las Vegas than here. I agree. I, I think I think he would have played a lot better in uh, in diamonds, but for sure he shouldn't be using it to begin with, unless he's just like having a good time at the, like the firing range, you know. Right. Like, in the field, it's not practical. You know, it's not. He's not in the wild west where he's having a fucking shootout outside of the saloon. Correct. Maybe flash forward to the man with the golden gun. Maybe in that situation, sure. You want to have a shootout with somebody? Pull the fucking revolver. But not here. I agree. Well, on the subject of cars, too, the bad guys had cooler cars than him with a Whisper's little uh, mirror gun that shot the driver. That was mm-hmm. kind of cool, but bad guys had something better. That's a great gadget. Great gadget. Agreed. And, like, Supal, you kind of alluded to it in the um, in the bar scenes when you have, like, the spinning boot. That, mm-hmm. that, was, that was a cool element that the bad guys had. They just, you know... I mean, and, that, uh, and how, how heads up was that server, too, where as he's spinning, he just grabs Bond's drink? Yep. I don't know. I think agree agreed with the cars too. Even like the amount of times that Bond got locked in the back of a car or something like that when, you know, they're driving him to wherever they need to take him, whether it be the freaking alligator ranch or just having like the uh the wherewithal for a driver to have control of Bond at that point is now where do we classify Teehee's hand? Is that part of the henchman? Is that a gadget? Where did we put odd jobs hat? Is that included I, in the henchman? I think that's that it was like in the henchman yes. uh, 
Okay. Law. I agree. I was just curious, just thinking about that. Yeah, I think it just falls into the henchman score. Yeah, it becomes part of the henchman gimmick, the shtick. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you guys. Five point five. Now, look, I think there. I think part of this was that while they're trying to do this on a bigger scale in terms of location, I think they were trying to be more simplistic and let the acting speak for itself. Which is funny because Roger Moore was an accomplished actor, and then he turned him into a complete caricature in the later the later movies, completely gimmick driven. Which is kind of funny. What I always wanted to know too is. How did they, and we can, we'll dive into a little bit more because I'm talking about gadgets. So they dropped the call, the casket on the, the murdered agent in the beginning. Like, great, is great. There some, is there something that slides underneath it? Like that, that part, like the mechanics of that always, I was always wondering about that. Got to be something that scoops like underneath. Got to be. But, but, great, but again, great that's scene. a cool gadget. And sure. again, on the bad guy side of it. Bad guy side. Yeah. I can't, I can't score in favor of the movie for that. Yeah. Yep. I actually go the other way. I score... Even worse, I take points away. You know what would be great, though? If you had, like, you know that meme that's going around with, like, the funeral guys that are dancing yes. with a casket? If yeah. like, that was happening in the parade. <laughs> that would well, be they, great. Do, they do start dancing. They, they move know, from but the like songs that. and they start playing when the Saints go marching in. Yep, yep. Great scene, but we'll get to that. All right. So, 5.0. I think everybody's pretty, everybody's pretty lackluster on this one. Uh, how about a highlight for the movie? The supporting cast, the henchmen, the... The MI, the MI6 like, sequences. Very strong. I yeah. agree. Felix is back. I think it was my favorite Felix, especially after that airport chase. I was going to say, what did you guys think of this, Felix? He's not my favorite. He's my favorite so far, but he's not my favorite. Yeah, and no, he's favorite so far. I did not like him in the early scenes. The early scenes where he's cooped up in the apartment in New York just listening in on shit. He seems even more useless than the Felix in Goldfinger at that point. Where yeah. They're like, oh, it's 11.45, you know, he's going into the building, and they get completely fooled by a take, an audio recording. He definitely comes around to be a much stronger character later in this movie. Agreed. I don't like the fact that there's no cue. I also <laughs> agree with that, but I think that also plays into your guns, cars, gadgets. There's no cue, and... Exactly. Your gun scores gadget score falls. Exactly. There's no there's no interaction with Bond and Q, and there's no like crazy gadgets in this film. It, I mean, right. your Q is money penny. Yeah, money right. money penny is a double roll. And she did cock block him in this movie at one point. She uh, she also saves him at the beginning. She could have ratted him out if she wanted to. Exactly. And but she, she didn't. didn't. She, was, she was down for Bond right there. Down for sure. I think Tihi and Baron Samadhi are about as strong as henchmen as you'll get. I thought Whisper was great too. Whisper's good. Yeah. I, my least favorite character in the film, Rosie Carver. Yes. Okay. That's where I was getting to. You Rosie, Rosie she, her acting is so cringe. And I also personally, as I alluded to earlier, it's like a Dukes of Hazard movie because you have Sheriff Pepper over here chasing them Duke boys, a.k.a. Bond. I, I hate I hate Sheriff Pepper. Hate him. Love him. I hate I Sheriff I hate Pepper. him. I hate him. I hate him. What I don't understand about Rosie <laughs> is they make this, they purposefully make her character so dumb. They make her completely and utterly stupid. Yep. Yet she is a CIA agent. Yep. Like yeah. You are supposed to believe on one hand that she has gone through training in Langley, yep. and she's a complete buffoon. She's cr It's cringe. Any, any scene that she's in, I just cringe. Listen, Rosie being in this film makes me not hate J.W. Pepper as much. Because if she wasn't, then he would be my least favorite character in the film. I agree. But Rosie's here, and she's terrible. Bond is even just like, all right, this woman is utterly useless, just 
why am I stuck with her here? You know, yep. all of her, all of her, like you said, all of her scenes are cringeworthy. Yep. Even when they first meet, it's like the chemistry is just so off and it feels forced. Agreed. Honestly, Rosie and, and J.W. Pepper kept this supporting cast henchman MI6 from reaching 9, 10 potential. Yeah. I scored, I, I scored it an 8 because I thought wow. the henchmen were fantastic. Yeah. And I, I gave it a 5 because while the henchmen were fantastic, these jabronis offset it. I now gave them 5 points. I minus 5 for these two idiots. Doesn't yeah. J.W. Pepper come back too in Golden Eyes? He, he does come back. He does and it's come awful. Back. Yeah. You're that secret agent fella from equally, equally as awful. I was a little bit more forgiving for the two of them being in the film. I hated them. Right. But I thought I thought the henchmen were top notch, probably the best group of henchmen that we've seen to date. And I did like the MI6 dynamic, like we talked about yeah. that opening scene. Mm -hmm. The money penny right. and the M scene was great. They nailed everything with that. And Felix. I thought Felix yeah. was great. I would have scored this probably a 9.5 or a 10 overall for everything else. But the fact that you had Rosie and J.W. Pepper in here knocked it down. I scored it an 8. This had so much potential to probably be the best supporting cast yeah. you could have in a Bond film. Mm -hmm. That's just what knocks it off for me. Is I guess during this time, this type of humor with Sheriff Pepper was just like hitting it off because I'm – I don't know the exact years, but I'm pretty sure Dukes of Hazard was like maybe just a couple of years later, if not a few right. years later. I guess just people just love this type of humor. I hate it. I thought it stunk. And it is what it is, I guess. Yeah. Uh, we also had our first uh, offspring of a friend of Bond with Quarrel Jr. Uh, captaining the ship. Do we know? Uh, was it confirmed? That, like, is that supposed to be Quarrel's son? Like, is so Actually, so there, I actually looked this up. It's actually supposed to be Quarrel. Live and Let Die in the Chronicles of the Books actually comes before Dr. No. Interesting. So in, in the chronology of the books. So okay. that, that doesn't get like, so if you think about, think back to Dr. No, right? You get that scene with Quarrel, you know, in the bar hmm? with the red stripe and shit and having that fight with Bond before they actually realize like, hey, we're, yeah. we're together on this. Yeah. Yeah. That, that kind of throws, throws you out of the window there. For sure. Yeah, so what they had to do is they ended up having to rewrite the character in this movie, and they basically invented Quarrel Jr. because the chronology is different. That was actually where, where that came from. So instead of it being a Quarrel later on, whom you've never met before, they just basically created a whole new character. I, I like Quarrel. He's just no Kareem Bay. Nope. Get the tally out. Um, tally out. I had to assist you guys on that one. I had to like volley it up. Yeah, so like, I seven? agree. I think yeah, that's well, a close call. I think original Quarrel is better than Quarrel Jr. Agreed. We went on this whole rant about supporting cast and henchmen and everything, and, and not one of us even mentioned Quarrel Jr. until Supel brought him up. In, in the overall overarching film, Quarrel Jr. has such a minimal role that he was kind of an afterthought for me in, in the supporting cast. Right. Cab driver. Right. 20 bucks. We don't see the MI6 like home office at all in this movie, do we? No. Because he no, goes I kind of liked that. House to give him I liked it. It brought you into, it, it gave a lot of credibility to Moore as the character that M shows up to his house and is like, you're getting on a plane right now because this situation is so urgent. Three of our agents just got, you know, just got taken out. It brings you instantly in that the, the importance of that 
And I think having you know, the, the same characters of, of M and Moneypenny showing up to do that, I think lent a lot of credibility to, to him taking on this character. Do you guys want to talk any, any more in detail about Baron Samiti? Touched on it before, but I think this guy could have been the Bond villain. Yes, 100%. Uh, and I guess, to my mind, he kind of is, in a sense, because he's still alive at the end. Yeah, you're talking about the voodoo factor and stuff like that. Like, yeah, I get it that Mr. Big is kind of on the street. He's the one that's going to be dealing the heroin and stuff like that, outside of Kananga being, you know, the politician. If you want to talk voodoo, that, that character hit a home run there. I mean, he's a perfect. big, big dude. Yeah. <laughs> does he win this movie? Like, does he? On, on the front of a speeding train. Yeah. Well, yeah. laughing his ass off. He's laughing his ass off. His face goes on fire after he was already supposedly killed at one point during this movie. So yep. does, does the bad guy actually win this movie? Yeah, and that villain – well, we're going to get into – we keep touching these villain deaths, but that one stunk as well. But yeah. then again, he didn't die. Or did he die? We, we don't know. We don't think – I don't think he's dead. I, I mean, yeah, that scene but, itself just kind of says, like, hey – here I am, just chilling, laughing my ass off on the train. Baron Samadhi, another solid character on the video game, Goldeneye. Oh, yeah. So good. Yep, that's true. And listen, Mr. Big and Kananga were not in the game, correct? Nope. Oh. It was Tihi, which would have been an awesome character. But, but to, to but that if, point, you're, if you're thinking about Bond villain here, the fucking Baron made it. Kananga didn't. Yeah. So, Goldfinger didn't make it either. So it, yeah, but we already knew that Goldfinger didn't actually do any of the damage himself. You know, yeah, that was but Ajah made it, though. That's right, Ajah. So we got our, uh, our first Roger Moore gun barrel. No hat? First actor to not have a hat. Didn't hate it. Didn't love it. Yeah, it's pretty average middle of the road for me. Just, um, yeah. It's funny, Supo sent around the, um, the Lazenby documentary, and they actually talked about how Lazenby went into his one barrel scene, talked about on Her Majesty's last time, so or two times ago. But kind of looks like, as I keep rewatching this, it kind of looks like, like 1980s Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> but like in the documentary, you're talking about like, they're talking about Lazenby filming his. So I'm thinking in my head, like, how many takes did it take Roger Moore to get this gun barrel? Lazenby refused to do more than one take. He did his first one, went down to the knee, and was like, that's what I'm doing. And the guy was like, no, fuck it. No, it's terrible. Why'd you go down to a knee for? What, like, this is what we talked about. And he just fucked around the whole time. Turning so backwards, like, doing two hands. Mm-hmm. Right. They're shooting up into the sky, like. He was just like, fuck it. I did my gun barrel and that's it. So like now I'm thinking it, while I'm watching this with the Roger Moore sequence, how many takes did it take him to get that gun barrel? Sequence? <laughs> they settled like, oh, that's the one. And for me, it's just average. Yeah. It, it, I'm not sure how I feel about the. I don't like it. Hand to hand to hand here. It's not like he, he grabbed the wrist. He just came in kind of elbow, elbow height. Right. But after, after watching you know, Lazenby talk about his gun barrel made me think how many takes did Roger Moore have to do for his first gun barrel? And you're just like, well, this is what they came up with. Okay, great. And hats off to Lazenby. If that was his one and only shot that he did, 
nailed it. Well, he just go back and watch that documentary that Supel sent. It's well worth checking it out. But they're they're talking about it. There's a scene in it, and he's just like, "Yeah, I did. I did my gun barrel. I went." They're like, "Why'd you go down to a knee?" He's just like, "Well, that's what that's what came naturally. That's that was my move." The rest of the time, like, "Well, do it again. Do it again." And every time he refuses to do another gun barrel, he's just like two guns, you know, shooting in the air, whatever, fucking around, fucking with, with everyone. Yeah. And just, I don't, it does, Roger Moore's gun barrel just doesn't, doesn't do anything for me. What'd you think of the opening sequence? But not, not the song, the, the opening sequence post gun barrel. I thought the sequence was good. Yeah. You know, we kind of touched on it. The agents getting uh, offed here. You know, setting the stage for, for what's to come. Get the, the New Orleans parade funeral, which is... Now, that's of the three of them, that's the best. Hey, Agreed. whose funeral? Yours. Yours. Bang. Guy's dead in the street. Yeah. Great scene. Yeah. I mean, and then as soon the as they pick the body up, they start celebrating. I mean, that's a great, great scene. You want to believe the technology that they zap the guy's brain with the earphones? Okay. Inside that United one. Nations, right? Was that inside the United Nations that yeah. happened? Yeah. Yes. Like, I wish I had one for the, uh, all my Zoom meetings. But the snake bite was terrible. Snake bite was terrible. He was moving after it. You could see him moving and breathing. It also never touched him. It was also a non-venomous snake. I think the opening sequence was great. But that brings us to as soon as you get a terrible snake death. Say live and let die. Uh, guys, this might be, or is, I will go ahead and say it. This is the greatest Bond song of all time. Standalone, without any credits, greatest one of all time. I gave it a 9.9. With the credits, I mean, the credits are okay, honestly. I, actually, I think the credits bring the song down. Yeah, I, I, it's, I'm not crazy about it, but the song is just so good. Like, I, I would give it a 10 if it wasn't, like, the opening credits are just okay. Like, like super broad of a point, there's no Bond. You don't see Bond in the opening credits at all. Yeah. Um, Which I kind of liked, though. I, I like that. Yeah, Trey, I'm not crazy about it. I agree with you on the standalone power itself for this song. McCartney will play this live moving forward in his career. Yeah. It's, you know, he'll play it in concert. It, it's one of the few songs that actually has standalone power. Sure. Um, I think, Mike, I think you're right. I not seeing Bond in this opening sequence adds to, to the reveal here of Roger Moore. I don't think you need to see... I, I was reading that this was supposed... There, there's some speculation that this was done because the, the introduction to uh, Lazenby was so over the top with the shadowy face and the fight sequence and the jokes and the, the woman on the beach that they, wanted, they, they almost course-corrected so tough the other way that they basically just didn't have him as any part of it, and they just walked him right into the first scene as if nothing had changed. I, I, I liked it. I thought it worked. I wasn't as critical on the actual credit sequence, you know, the opening credits. Mm -hmm. I didn't think that was that bad. It's not bad, but it's not no. knocking myself. I don't, I don't think it's bad. I think the first portion of it, when the song kicks off and you get the, the change from face to, face to skull and the flames is great. Yeah. And then the the women dancing is kind of one note. 
as we get a little later on, as technology gets a little bit better, you start to see some differentiation. But I feel like I've seen this same sequence so many times before. And if I dubbed over three other songs, it wouldn't be any different than some of the previous three. After about the first 30 seconds of the song. Sure. I just didn't think it took away from the the high notes of one, the song, the opening sequence. I scored it a 10 out of 10, and I'm, I'm not really one to give out a whole lot of 10s. I think from what we scored so far, I've given out two 10s. One was for your original Bond performance in Dr. <coughs> and the conclusion of Honor Majesty's Secret Service. And I think this, like Trey said, this is the GOAT. This is, this is your best Bond song that you're going to see in the history of the series. Yep. Well, I mean, I guess technically number two, right, next to the John Barry Orchestra sure. Bond sure. theme. Yeah, if, if we're going to classify it. Yeah. Right. I would say as far as recognizability, but if I'm here, that may be touching some uh, touchy subject here, but I would, I would rather, I would rather this song than the classic Bond song. They're during the movie. I really enjoyed the scenes where this song was playing in the background. At the Agreed. bar, it was great. I had that in my yeah. notes too. It added to the song in the power. Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. I, I mean, I, I don't actually, know. I actually forgot about that. I have to adjust my score to a seven point five because I forgot they play that in the bar. That's so good. And it's yeah. a long way from wearing a earmuffs to listen to the Beatles. Yeah. So, Mike, where you got this score at? 7.5. I got a 10. Overall, I got this 7.5. Okay. Yeah. I mean, listen, Trey, me, and Soup, we're we're right there in the ballpark. 9.8, 10, 10. Not my favorite song, though. This is song and opening sequence. Yeah. So, it doesn't necessarily mean that the song has to be your favorite. It's just... Yeah, you're still giving it... You're still giving it a 10. Two of you are ready to play. It's still a 10. Two already, two already declared <laughs> your favorite songs. It is. It, it is by far my favorite Bond song. For sure. I, I think this one's on another tier. And then there's another, like, you go down a few, and then there's more songs. Like, that's how, like, great this song is. And then you go down and, like, okay, this song's good. I guess you've never seen Tomorrow Never Dies with Sheryl Crow. Listen, I, don't, I don't mind that song. Now, some of the later stuff, like, let me just, I'll just throw out, like, Skyfall with Adele. Yeah. Do you do you think that let's pretend the the series goes for another ten years? Sure. Do you think the the ageability of that song will elevate it to another level? Because I still think it's a little like it's a probably it's a great song, but it might be a little newer to compare it to the stayability of this. Do you think, think one of those has the ability to, to compare down I the I think road? if anyone has the ability, it's the exact same one you just said. I think Skyfall yeah. by Adele was an amazing song. And I think she absolutely crushed it out of the park. I mean, we'll get to it when we get to Skyfall. But I think that's one of the few that has probably the, the lasting ability. But while we're talking about Roger Moore and songs, Roger Moore probably has some of the best Bond songs. Absolutely. As his openings we're going to get to it in the future as, yeah. as we progress through you know the rest of the roger moore films but i think i think his songs in general compared to connery and compared to some of the the past songs and even some of the future songs i think brosnan's songs sucked they were they were okay but like they don't even come close to what you saw with roger i mean moore. the uh, the tina turner golden eye is probably one of the lowest points of GoldenEye. And GoldenEye is one of my favorites. I mean, that that's high notes in a lot of areas. But, like, 
the Tina Turner late nineties song is just not very good. I think they missed the mark on a lot of those browsing songs. We're gonna get to it eventually, but yep. that's the one thing that this I said earlier on the podcast, uh, the doldrums of the Roger Moore era. That's one of the, the bright spots is the Bond songs in the Roger Moore era. So yeah. I'll, I'll give them that. I feel I like agree with all good except for maybe Moonraker, but that's another day. Yeah, I'd say collectively as a group of films, if I had to listen to like a group of Bond songs from by each actor the rest of my life, I'm choosing Roger Moore's. I think I think you're right. Timothy Dalton's not a bad choice either. We only had two songs. Yeah, you get <laughs> they're both good though. <laughs> yeah, I like Living Daylights and License to Kill, but but collectively we're gonna get to it I, as we keep alluding to a thousand times in the past like five minutes. But I would choose Roger Moore's like little group of songs. Agreed. As a whole. Moving on to the uh, the chase. I would love to go get the DVD and watch the behind the scenes about how they actually did that. Duke probably has a, a fact on that. I did. Uh, the stuntman made a quick 60 grand for that. Mm-hmm. It did take him six attempts to run across all those uh, gators, but not bad for a day's work. Were they actual gators that he ran across? Crocodiles, I keep on fucking that up. There was once... But they were live. He ran on live... Yeah, this is where the catch comes in, where he had 193 stitches to his leg and face, but he had $60,000, so... Wow. I feel like, of all the movies, like Roger Moore's movies, the stuntman was the busiest in Roger Moore's. (laughs) I agree. I forgot forgot one more thing. His wardrobe kept on getting destroyed. They had to keep on sending in new suits from London... (laughs) to do the scene wow uh, i thought the chase scene was adequate it, i gave it a 4.5 total i thought the escape on the back of the crocs was great yeah but the boat chase was good jw pepper gets involved which kind of affected my score a little bit yep. and i thought it was too long i thought you could have shaved five minutes off of that and and still had the same same effect yeah. it's like it's like 12 minutes long or something crazy like that in like yeah. Carnage count is massive. They were like 30 cars, no, 45 cars, and I think 30 boats were destroyed in the making of this movie. Just insane. You shave five minutes off of that, I think you still achieve the same goal. The chase scene was cool. You I know, can, I can give you, uh, you can shave it down to 30 seconds because all you need is J.W. Pepper. You don't need him. You don't you need, need him. Need more. I'm sure this ain't exactly your debut with this sort of thing. Racist as fuck. You picked the wrong parish to haul ass through, boy. Nobody cuts and runs on Chef J.W. Pepper. Yeah, I've I've seen a number of things where people actually recreate scenes like this, where they launch boats up and over, like, up and over berms and things. So that's actually a a, a real thing that you can do with a boat. It's called the South. You can do it. For sure, you can do it. Does it end well? No, but you can do it. J.W. Pepper does nothing for me. Nothing. Doesn't any scenes. I like this, the, the feel and the look of the speed on the small speed boats. But yep. again, I'm with you. I think it's a little too long. I think you know, the double-decker bus, while quirky, quintessential chase here, doesn't do a lot for me. I'm a 6.5. I was 4.5. I was, I was low on this end. I didn't you, really hated, you really hated J.W. Pepper, huh? I do hate J.W. Pepper, and, yeah. and like I said, I thought it was drawn out. I, I said you can you can shave five minutes on this and get the same goal. Right. All we're missing is General Lee and J.W. Pepper chasing after it. There's a chasing that we're missing in this, I feel like. I gave it a five. We mentioned the double-decker bus. That was even better than the boat chase, in my opinion. And the henchman fights, the Barons, the 
best, what we all agree is the best villain in this movie, Baron Samadhi and Roger Moore's fight lasted 15 seconds. Yep. Yep. Agreed. You needed to see more of that. So yeah. much build up and nothing, just like Dr. No. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And uh, Teehee's fight at the end, I mean, it was, it was okay. And I guess it was innovative the way he like got out of it, like clipping it, I guess. But another train cost scene, just like a red grain. Yeah. Yeah, just like something yep. like I feel like we've seen before. Yep. Just not great. I don't know. It was middle of the road for me. Five. <laughs> kind of. Like uh, I was at a 6.0. I love some of like the other just random scuffles he got into, but like the marquee fight scenes. Right. Were flat. I guess like this is what we're lo- The snake fight scene. That's the yeah. the best one. The is, best it, is, is it a fight scene? Is he fighting the snake? <laughs> I don't know, no. man. Like, no. <laughs> The snake was given an unfair disadvantage. Yeah, I mean, it's got no limbs. Listen. No, no, but uh, for the snake scene, they used uh, ice-cold water, so the snake would move slower. So when they were doing the stunts, they could actually deal with a live snake, which they okay for the movie, but the snake did not stand a chance. It was handicapped from the start. I mean, let's get us the best uh, best clip of the movie. Yeah, and he pulled the cigar away from. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> aftershave, aftershave. Like, but doesn't, doesn't want to smoke the cigar after either. Yeah, I wouldn't either, honestly. No, I disagree. That's a lost. Uh, that's a lost uh, opportunity right there to have aftershave. a quick puff and walk away. I might have to flip around aftershave. Yeah. Yeah, what was the what was the title of that video? It was like a homemade s- snake fight. What was it? It snake was like or something like that. Homemade. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yep. I wouldn't call it the best clip of the movie, but it's definitely the. I guess we call, we're talking about death and fight scenes. That's probably the best one, and that's Listen, it. Was important insane. enough for us to talk about it for at least a little bit on this on this podcast. Terrible. I mean. Uh, Something, you know, something that was so simple that it was like a attempted snake death of Bond that was just foiled by cigar right. burn. And this is kind of the summary of this movie. There's like a lot of potential. And in my mind, it's probably going to be like maybe around the 15 range, like all yeah. the 24 films. We don't yeah. support animal cruelty or any of those actions, by the way. No, we don't. We, are we there yet? Are we ready for it? Yeah. Yeah. Are we hitting this up or quotes? You want yeah quotes or or yeah. here let's let's hear let's get this out of the way. All right, let's talk about it. Where's Kananga? Well, he always did have an inflated opinion of himself. <laughs> um. We I love that you don't pull any punches there. They're like, there's no stuntman. Like, it's just, it's an inflatable, like, blow-up doll. Yeah. Like, they don't yeah. give a fuck. They're just like, this is what I mean, it's going to look like. You know, and, and I feel like they, I feel like they could have done such a better job, too, with just a quote. Like, he always had an inflated opinion of himself. Could have gone, so, you know, we always knew he was a blowhard. Would have been so much better. You know, I just feel like they really phoned that whole thing in top to bottom. I feel like the death should have been a little bit messier. I get we're in the 70s. You know, not a whole lot of, like, special effects happening, but I'm pretty sure Kananga is not made out of 100% helium. And rubber. And rubber. <laughs> when you talk about death, and that scene was awful. 
Awful. But the henchmen also had kind of tame deaths. Like there was, we we, we talked a little bit about Baron Samadhi. Like that wasn't that wasn't anything great. Yeah. The, again, we didn't know. We didn't, is he dead? He's on the he's on the front of the train. We, right. we don't know about that. Like the conclusion and and the deaths, I think fell flat on its face. That could have elevated this movie to be even better than what it actually ends ends up being scored. Yeah. Get don't get me wrong. Getting bit by a bunch of snakes would suck. But the fact that it the whole scene lasted ten seconds, stunk. I mean, for for such a good character too. Yeah, you know, uh, it really did no justice. Exactly, it kind of reminds me a lot of Cream Bay's death. That lasted no time. Like you didn't get to yeah. see any. Like, and then going back to he, T He's death at the end, and I think this is what the probably the only movie that Roger Moore has where he doesn't end out like in the middle of nowhere in the ocean. Yeah, boat, yeah. Yep. Mi six watching. Yeah, with MI6 watching every time. Yeah. Always. I mean, Listen, they just want to make their, their Roger Moore sex scenes. Like, it's not creepy to watch this old man bang, you know, all these Bond girls. I mean, Right, this 50-year-old man banging these 24-year-old innocent women. Yeah. We watched all these. I was a 5.5 on the deaths. Exactly the same. My comments were awful island death scene, solitaire popping out in the Baron at the end of the train. Nothing major to pop on, but... 5. I scored 5. a three, and this is the lowest score I've given uh, villain deaths and a conclusion up until this point. I think I'm in the same boat. I I think it's a low score for me, and I scored it a three, and my like notes were when Bond killed a snake. That's it. Really on that. Yeah. <laughs> we spent so much time talking about the snake, we did miss one aspect of the chase scene with the airplane with the no wings and that old lady with the giant ass goggles. Yeah, I, again, yeah, I mean, that part of the chase scene didn't even really need to happen. Exactly. Know? Necessary at the airport. Well, that's what I'm saying. You could have shaved five minutes. You can shave that whole that whole uh, whole scene out. Like you know, he's he's right. giving flying lessons, right? Like, forget about it. You don't need it. Well, like they try to make every Bond film two hours, and they don't really need to. No. Yeah, yeah. Like I've noticed that everything's like two oh five to two oh five two twenty like two and a half hours, and honestly, the directors really are whatever the the writers could have shaved off a lot of the, like on a lot of these films and the film like they would have been just fine. You don't lose any of the plot in those right. chase fight sequences that you. And you they would actually help. The movie would move faster. Right. Her Majesty's was the longest we've seen so far, but it moved fast because of the way everything was cut. Nothing was not too many things were super drawn out, and I feel like we could have done that with a lot of this. Yeah, we don't want those minute fillers. Quotes? Do we want to talk about quotes? These were fun. I'm, I'll let y'all have all like a lot of the main quotes. I thought it was pretty middle of the road to get five point seven. I liked. We alluded to it again at the beginning. Money Penny at the beginning gave him a little Chow Bello, little uh, quote yep. at the tip of the cap. Kind tip of, of the cap, like yeah, just to let you know, saved your ass. I knew she was in there. I mean, that same scene though, when the door gets knocked at five forty-five in the morning and he pops out of bed. You're not married, are you? I had it exactly. <laughs> Trey, I'm I'm with you. I gave quotes a five. I thought there were there were some decent quotes in here, but there was nothing earth shattering. There was nothing right. crazy. I'm a six. One point, of my favorites six, is when when they I'm take Bond out to the to the alley. Well, you know my name is, and he's giving the James James Bond dropping his name ordeal. The hitman out there at that time, he's just like names are for tombstones, baby. Just, <laughs> That's good. Don't take that hockey out and waste them. You gave it a five, it's solid. A little one. It's not one of like the top quotes in the film, but it's just sure. one that stuck out to me that I love. That's good. Even a, your boy, J.W. Pepper. What are you, some type of doomsday machine, boy? 
See, I hate that. <laughs> I just, anything that comes out of his mouth, my brain just like turns off. I don't yeah. think he has one in his def- in his defense. One hundred percent. Yeah, he really? doesn't have one. Listen, I thought I thought the quote after the magnetic watch that unzipped the dress. Sheer magnetism was great on Bond's point. Sure, I did like the "You're not married, are you?" That was my favorite. I think that was a good one. To Supel's point, the scene in the back of the cab, he was like, "Yeah, twenty bucks, take me here." He goes, "For twenty bucks, I'll take you to the KKK cookout." Yeah, it's a great quote. And then just yeah, I couldn't find I, I couldn't find that clip. It, it in shows like, you shows you like a, a sign of the times there too. And like, yeah, Harlem was rough then. And like, even when filming it, they had to hire a local gang to protect them. Producers ran out of money, out of cash money, and they were encouraged to wrap up filming in a day. Now Harlem's a good spot. We've all been there. It's a good time, but I was a uh, I was a six point five on here. And you see him again after after he delivers that line. You see him again uh, as again as a driver. I give the quotes a five. I didn't think there was anything earth shattering here, but there was a few ones that that made me chuckle. It wasn't quotes certainly didn't tank the mil- like tank this movie, but there was nothing that was phenomenal. Yeah, we'll see in future films. That this is actually something Roger Moore picks up. What you notice right away, though, is like obviously some of it's the writing, but because the writing changes in the later more years. But I think you notice it right away that he's got great delivery for these puns. I think he's got the best delivery of after a while. They get pretty cringeworthy, but he's still got the best delivery of them. Oh, yeah. When he gets into the 80s, it's cringe. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) Take us home, dude. I'll run through the scores. If anything changed throughout this conversation, you know, I had, you know. An in, I had an incorrect score. I had quotes at 6.5, not 7.5. You're at quotes at a 6.5. Yeah, yeah. All right. I think I made a slight change as well, so a quick refresh. Yeah, I'll run through like I do for everyone. Just run through them. If anything's off, just let me know and I'll update it. All right, I'll start with Trey. Trey's got the plot at a 5.5. Roger Moore's Bond performance at a 7. The Bond villain at a four, Bond girl at a nine, the guns, cars, and gadgets at a four, song and opening sequence at a 9.8, supporting cast a five, chase fight scene a five, quotes a 5.7, and conclusion and death a three. Yeah, I, I bumped down the gadgets to a four, and I should be out at 58. 58, that, yep, that's what I got you at. Perfect. And then, Mike, I got you with the plot at 6.5. The Bond performance an eight, Bond villain a five, Bond girl an eight, Guns, Cars, Gadgets a five, song opening sequence a 7.5, supporting cast a seven, chase fight scene a 6.5, quotes a 6.5, and conclusions and deaths a 5.5. Got it. 64.5? 65.5. I think I, I had an edit it when I made that quote. It should be 64. You bumped you bumped one of them, didn't you? Oh, I did bump. You're right. Sorry. Uh, I think it was a song and opening sequence you bumped by one yeah. point. So, yeah, I got you at a 65.5. And then Soup, I got you at 6.5 for the plot. Uh, Bond performance an 8. Bond villain a 5. Bond girl an 8.5. Guns, Cars, Gadgets a 5. Song opening sequence a 10. Supporting cast 7.5. Chase fight scene 7. Quotes a 7.5 and conclusions in death a 5.5. I did a bump chase scenes down to a 6.0. Six. So that'll bring you to a total of 69.5. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> For me, I had plot at a 3.5, Bond performance a 7.5, Bond villain a 5.5, Bond girl an 8, Guns, Cars, Gadgets a 3, 
song and opening sequence a 10, supporting cast an 8, chase fight scene a 4.5, quotes a 5, and conclusions and deaths a 3. It looks like Supal has scored this one the highest at a 69.5. Mike came in at the second highest at a 65.5. And Trey and I are both sitting at 58. That's probably the biggest, like, difference that we've had yet. Yeah, for like- sure. Just for me, I'm thinking Live and Let Die might come in close to the top 10, but there's no guarantee that's going to be in my top 10. Um, it's not a top 10 for me. It's a middle-of-the-road film. I think it had some great categories, and I think it had some really terrible categories. Yep. Um, it'll be in the front half of all of them. You know, it'll be in the upper half. It won't be in the lower half total. It's not. I don't think it, this is not going to crack my top 10. I'm thinking uh, it's probably going to be like, 15 to 11 range at the end of the day. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't know if it makes it. I mean, so far, looking at it, it's higher than Diamonds and You Only Live Twice, but it doesn't touch any of the other ones. I think maybe it might flirt with it, but, you know, the back end, the back end of these films, you, you got some good ones coming up. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, you, I mean, you got between Brosnan and Craig, you've got four movies that probably are superior to this. Agreed. We're only talking handful of movies here, so if you can't crack the top ten, you're in the bottom ten. Yep. The difference between yeah, you there's know, being the, ten uh, or eleven, there's like a there's the bottom ten. A three bubble, right? What are we on? Twenty three, twenty five now, right? There's like a three. It'll bubble. be twenty five. Twenty five yeah. will come out. Yep. Um, I guess November right. now. But yeah, if you're talking a top ten and a bottom ten out of out of twenty five films, mm-hmm. unless you're in that middle five. And I think it's yeah, going to I mean, be overall, overall wasn't wasn't my least favorite, and it's not my favorite. It's I don't think it's going to be anywhere near the bottom, but it's certainly not going to be at the top. Well, let's close it out with the uh, the great Jane Seymour. There she is. I'm not letting you out of this room until you feel one. Oh. Wow, they feel really nice, real old like. It's amazing what they can do. Pervert. <laughs> she didn't say-